Welcome back to Three Point Firefighter. Today's guest is Rob Backer. Now, Rob is a 20-plus year fire service veteran and currently serves as a battalion chief for Thornton, Colorado Fire Department. He has written numerous articles for fire engineering and multiple fire service blogs. He is an instructor for the Art of Reading Smoke and the Art of the First Stew. Both of these classes are available nationally. Today's episode is brought to you by Fire Facilities. Make training count with their custom-made, all-still, live fire training facilities. Their made-in-the-USA towers and burn rooms are the best for preparing, responding, and surviving the challenges you face every day. But there are a lot of variables that we don't know about. We don't know the exact arrangement inside that house. We don't know the exact fuel package. We can take a really good educated guess. Mm-hmm. And and nine times out of 10, maybe 99 times out of 100, we're going to be correct. You know, we're going to assume that a house is normal fuel load, normal conditions, all of those things. But every once in a while, it's not going to be. And every once in a while, there's going to be some variable inside that building that we can't account for. And when we see it, um, we don't know it until we're in the building and, and we're face to face with it. You know, like like it's it's been taught to me and it's true. You can do everything right and still be wrong. You can, yeah. you can do everything right and still have a bad day. So it's an art. It, it's, it's, if you will, an imperfect science. The science is perfect, but we don't have all of the details and all of the variables when we arrive on scene. So there's Absolutely. not to do it. We don't. You're exactly right. I've always said there's two. If you put a gun to my head and said you can only teach two things to firefighters for the rest of your life, it'd be fire behavior, which I include smoking that, and building construction, Absolutely. fire and how fire acts in, in, in boxes. So r- real quick, I want to go into the four attributes. I yep. love the four attributes, right? And they're, they're easy to remember. And they actually, if you haven't heard them, once you hear these, I want you to go watch some videos. And it's amazing how easily it is to apply this, 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 these four attributes. Could you tell us four attributes? Four attributes are volume, velocity, density, and color. And uh, volume is essentially how much smoke is coming from this box. And volume in and of itself, it's, it's, it's now the least important attribute because volume is going to be there because of today's fuels. This, the right. low mass synthetic fuels, we're going to have volume. But the, the comparison I make in classes is imagine you, you're responding, you're first due to a structure fire. Uh, You pull up in front of the house and you very quickly realize it's not a house fire. It's actually uh, a shed in the backyard, a tool shed. And and the double doors are open and there's uh, little wisps of light gray smoke coming from the top of the door jam. Do you have a big fire with that much volume? And and everyone generally understands like, no, you don't. You, You have a small fire, a small volume of smoke coming from a small box. It's not a big deal. Okay, so you could take a couple water cans, you squirt that fire out. You go back in service, and as soon as you go back in service, they bang you out to a, another structure fire, and now you're going to be first due at Home Depot or Lowe's or Menards, a uh, big box hardware store. And you pull up there, and from the top of the jam of the double doors of the entry, you have the exact same volume, little wisps of light gray smoke showing from that building. Do you have a big fire? And then everyone goes, yeah. 
because that's a 100,000 square foot store and there's about 30 to 40 feet from the top of the door jam to the ceiling. So we're talking 3 million cubic feet filled up with smoke, banked down far enough to where it's just starting to lick out the top of the jam. And what I tell them in class, the entire country is going to watch you burn this thing to the ground. You are not getting in front of that fire. It doesn't matter how big your department is. There's YouTube videos of Home Depot fires. They're defensive. They don't go well. Well, yeah, but what if you pull at least one inch and three quarter? That would be enough water, right? For a, for a three million cubic square. You know, cubic what, whatever, feet? whatever, whatever your booster line is, tank water. <laughs> you know, first do can handle everyone else. Pick up, it's fine. <laughs> so, so volume volumes. We're just comparing it to the side of the uh, size of the box that it's coming from, making a judgment. Um, and it's it's really a reflection of how much fuel has off gassed not how big the fire is because the majority of smoke that we see now is due to pyrolysis or off-gassing, not due to combustion or fire. Mm -hmm. Um, Velocity is next. That is the single most important read is the speed of the smoke coming from the box. And and from different parts, you're likely going to have different velocities coming out, which is a great read. Um, Velocity is is basically heat. The hotter the smoke is, the faster it moves. Um, and so, what, what, if I could interrupt you real quick, would sure. that be true that the velocity that you're seeing from outside is much faster inside by the fire? Potentially. Okay. Um, that, that's an easy, to, easy conclusion to make. Uh, it, it is potentially true. Um, the, the smoke is never going to be hotter and never going to be faster than where it is right at the flame tips where it's first produced. From there, it will only cool off and it will only slow down. So in that sense, the smoke that you see coming out of the building can or should be slower than than what's happening inside the building. However, the reason that the smoke cools off and slows down inside the box is because heat seeks cold and and the the heat from the smoke via conduction, convection and radiation, more third grade science, is transferring to the surfaces within the box. It's transferring to the walls, to the ceiling, to the floor, to the furnishings, to everything that's in the box. And and those things, those surfaces are absorbing heat. As they absorb heat from the smoke, the smoke slows down. And and we might see very slow or, or laminar smoke coming out of the box. But depending on the fire's growth and progression, when we get there, or or due to our actions or or lack thereof on scene, uh, that box sooner or later is going to become saturated and and the surfaces within that box can't absorb any more heat. And when they can't absorb more heat, they start reflecting heat back at the smoke. And now the smoke can't give away any of its heat. And then the smoke that we see coming out of the box is going to be just as fast as the smoke at the flame tips. And that's a big red flag for us. So that's why velocity becomes a critical read. Our most important read is is worded another way is the box you're looking at still absorbing heat or is it reflecting heat and and how is that going to impact your actions based on how many resources you have on scene now and the timing of more resources that you have coming what are you able to pull off um, at, at this fire so velocity is is the box still absorbing heat or reflecting heat how fast is the smoke density or how thick the smoke is generally is reflective of the quality of burning. Uh, how how well ventilated is this fire? And if if we have something burning outside, generally we're not going to have much density because it's very clean burning. 
Again, it's an art. Could we have a pile of tires outside that are burning? Uh, yes, and it's not going to give off thin smoke because that's a very dirty burning fuel uh, even outside. Um, but generally, the thicker the smoke is, uh, the, the lower the quality of burning, the more vent limited we're looking at. And, and the thicker the smoke is, the higher the likelihood that, you know, uh, we're looking to, to trigger a hostile fire event, like a, sm a smoke explosion, a backdraft or a flashover. And then the color is, it has been my personal pet peeve for my fire service career. Cause I was taught the color of smoke tells you what's burning right. and, and white Absolutely. smoke. White smoke means plastics, gray smoke means wood, and black smoke means hydrocarbons. And it, I accepted it, but it never sat well with me because plastics are hydrocarbons. So how come those hydrocarbons are white, but other hydrocarbons are black? And also the, the snark in me always thought, you know, what difference does it make? You know, if, if I'm in the front seat and we're going to a fire and the guys in back are are masking up and getting ready to go so that we're ready to go as soon as the the air brake gets pulled and i turn around and be like hey guys heads up looking at the smoke header in the sky we got a lot of hydrocarbons a lot of natural products and a lot of plastics in this house every house has that yeah. it, it means nothing it's <laughs> What and they're back there with their little pads and pins yeah. going writing this down. Okay, you see hydrocarbons yeah. here, boss? Yeah, no, no, no. That's 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 a lie that we've all been taught. It's not true. We can take any fuel and we can make it burn any color from a clean, pristine white all the way to a dirty, oily black. The color really tells us the stage of heating of the fuel. Right. Uh, where where is this fuel at and its its heat progression? And fire is end stage heating. Fire in in the normal world is always going to produce black smoke. From there, the smoke will lighten up in color as it gets filtered because the black stuff is very heavy and sticky. So as it travels a distance, the black stuff trickles out due to gravity. It's also sticky. It sticks to whatever it touches. So as it touches things and it pushes through the box, uh, the, a lot of the black gets left behind. It sticks. And, and so on the walls and on the furniture, that's what everything. we're seeing. Yep. So we need we need to like put that together in our brain and go, okay, I know exactly what he's talking about. We've all seen... The, the, the soot covered down the long hallway and all yep. the furniture, everything. Yes. And, and in, in, it sticks to firefighters too. Um, you know, that, that when we, when we get a, a yellow helmet, a red helmet or a white helmet, the first thing we want to do is make it darker. That's, that's part of our, uh, testosterone fueled immaturity. None of us are really above it. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if we have yellow or brown bunker gear, I'm going to go roll around in the living room on this fire because I don't want to look like I'm brand new. That's it's inherent. Like it seems to be instinctive for us. Just understand that's the fuel that's, uh, you know, smoke is fuel, the black stuff turning you into part of the fuel package. Um, Oof, that's scary to think about. Yes. So, uh, basically, um, those are the four attributes and, and generally what they mean. And then we take how the box influences them and how they influence the box. We put those puzzle pieces together and then we start watching videos for, hey, you know, watch this in a five to 10 second window. I'm going to show you 10 seconds worth of footage and I'll repeat it. You know, we can watch it as many times as we want, but answer the question, where's the fire? Meaning where specifically is the fire? Don't, you know, there's always one in every class. It's like, it's in the house. Yes, it's in the house, but where... <laughs> Where in the house? Where are you taking the first line and why? Right. So how big is the fire? How progressed is the fire? You know, where are we in the, the time and temperature growth chart? Um, what's going to happen next? 
predict it and how much time do we have until that happens? Take, take the answer, the information from those four questions, apply that against what your department has at its disposal. How many do you have on your first due engine? How long is it gonna take a first alarm to show up? So do you have enough time to get in front of that before it goes south, before it flashes over and the entire building's fully involved? If you have enough to get in front of it, you have an offensive fire. If you don't, you can't get in front of this thing, it's likely a defensive fire. <clears throat> Simple as that. It, it, they're great. They're, they're, I'm sorry. They're great things to put in the back of your head. And everything you're talking about just now with training, with experience, you're talking a, a few seconds in your brain, if that long, that you're putting all this stuff together. And uh, you'd mentioned, uh, you know, we become covered in soot. We become part of the fuel package. And then you mentioned uh, flashover, a uh, backdraft, and uh, smoke explosion. So let me ask you this. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to wrap myself out. I, I, I think I'm more wrong than right. I've got two marriages under my belt to prove that. <laughs> but I was teaching in Fairfax County, Virginia. Now, I've been in the fire service for 30 years. To this day, I fanboy. I fanboy like crazy, right? I'm I fanboying, fanboying over you. I've, I've, you would not believe the prep that went into this. Uh, but so I'm in this class, I'm teaching this class and I'm, I'm using the, their max fire burn box, you know, that yep. middle fire box. Okay. Yep. So I'm teaching that lo and behold, who's in my class. We're rotating uh, different, uh, different uh, things. And so who's in this one that I'm teaching now, Billy Goldfeder, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. There's no mistake in Billy Goldfeder. You don't look at Billy Goldfeder and go, is that guy Billy Goldfeder? Nope. That was Billy Goldfeder. So now I'm teaching this group of people a very complex thing in a very short amount of time. The whole time, all I'm thinking about is Billy Goldfeder. And I can see that walrus mustache and everything right there. A guy asks me, he goes, what's the difference behind between a backdraft and a smoke explosion? I completely blank out completely. Right. I'm looking at Billy Goldfeder. Now I'm thinking in my head, well, I'm, I'm screwed up in front of Billy Goldfeder. And the, the wonderful guy that he is, he, he saw that I was just lost, right? He didn't know I was lost because of him. He just thought I was an idiot, which is fine. And then he stepped up and said this. Could you tell us, because when I came in the fire service, a smoke explosion was a, flash, was a backdraft. They were the same exact thing, but through science, we've learned they're different. Can you help clarify that? Plus, tell us about a flashover. That's what Billy asked you? No, that's what I'm asking you oh in case there's – I figure there's more people out there like me that are just easily get dumbfounded, right? I look yeah. at Billy Goldfeder the whole time, and I got locked up, right? So with that being said, who better to tell everybody the difference between a backdraft and a smoke explosion? Pro probably Billy Goldfeder. Um. <laughs> well, I can tell you what he said, and I agree with it. Uh, where where a backdraft is an oxygen event basically, and and a, and a uh, a smoke explosion is more of a heat event. Like it, it, a smoke explosion will normally kick off due to heat, whereas a backdraft will kick off normally because of oxygen. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know that seems that seems like a pretty solid solid answer. Um, however, uh, I, I'm you know I'm a detail person, mm -hmm. so. The way my brain works is I, I would raise my hand and say, you know, why? How, how does that work? What's the science behind it? And it's not challenging. It's wanting to understand. So 
the difference between a smoke explosion and a backdraft, the, the, the five second answer, a smoke explosion is an open box cold event and a backdraft explosion is a closed box hot event. And, and what those mean is if, if we imagine different temperature points um, with, within a fire as it grows and, and when the fire is in its colder stages, which is still, you know, several hundred degrees, it's not literally cold, but right. uh, when it's in its colder stages, we have a fuel air mixture. You have, you have a tremendous amount of fuel that's in the smoke and we still have air in the box. So we have a fuel air mixture um, that is in a sweet spot at some point. And with a smoke explosion, what's happening is we have reached a mixture where the fuel given an ignition source, like the seat of a fire, reaches a sweet spot where it can light off. And in this case, rather than ignite, it actually detonates. The fuels detonate, but it's not hot enough to sustain combustion. So we get our detonation, but then the flame goes out and returns to smoke. Mm. And if that sounds confusing, um, I understand. Think fire service triangle in third grade, we have fuel, heat, and air. But once we get to high school or, or maybe in, in probie school, it's really a fire tetrahedron. We have fuel, heat, air, and a self-sustaining chemical reaction. When we have a smoke explosion, we have the triangle, but we don't have enough heat to initiate the self-sustaining chemical reaction. So we will get ignition, but it's not hot enough to sustain. So it basically blows itself out, returns right back to smoke. So in that sense, it's not hot enough to sustain combustion. So we're going to refer to it as a cold event. It's also an open box event in the sense that the ventilation that was needed to make this happen was already present. It did not occur because someone opened up a window or a door. It was already there. Um, it just reached its sweet spot with an ignition source. The fuels detonated, but it wasn't hot enough to sustain. So it, it blew up and then blew out. Mm -hmm. uh, and we returned right back to a smoke condition, open box, cold event. A backdraft is a closed box hot event, meaning it's hot in the sense that it's the hottest trigger we're going to hit. Um, when the fuels light off, we will see sustained combustion afterwards. It's also a closed box event, meaning uh, it, it was vent limited. We didn't have enough air to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Someone or something opened up that box, uh, let the breath of fresh air in to immediately create an ignitable mixture. The fuels inside that box were already at or even past their auto ignition temperatures. We don't need an ignition source to make this happen with auto ignition. It's hot enough. It lights off on its own. Rather than ignition, we got detonation. So we get an explosion and it's hot enough that we have sustained combustion afterwards. So a, a backdraft is a closed box or, you know, it was closed. Something opened it up. Hot event, sustained combustion afterwards. That would be the difference between a smoke explosion and a backdraft. So to, to Chief Goldfeder's point, um, a backdraft would be a heat-driven event. We have a tremendous amount of heat. Sudden introduction of fresh air into a very explosive vent-limited environment triggers the detonation, sustained combustion afterwards. A smoke explosion being air-driven, um, I guess, yes, in the sense that the air that was already needed to make it happen was present. It wasn't mm -hmm. due to a sudden introduction, but we didn't have enough heat to sustain the explosion afterwards. 
So if we see the, the huge puff of smoke coming out in an explosive manner, that we, there was likely just a smoke explosion inside that box, violently shove that stuff out, but then we go right back to the smoke condition we had uh, without fire shooting out afterwards. And then the fire shooting out afterwards is going to tell us it was probably a smoke explosion. Fire, if, if the fire system afterwards, yeah, likely a backdraft event. Yeah, okay. Now, can you give me two seconds? I got to go check the plumbing. Uh, my grandfather's uh, prostate is acting up real quick. He, that's yeah. all he left me. So give me two seconds. No problem. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate no it. So <clears throat> we are less likely in our career to tell me if I'm wrong, to see a smoke explosion or a backdraft, but a flashover, almost every fire of modern, modern furnishings and probably lightweight construction. Would that be fairly, fairly correct? Uh, I would believe so. I, I would say any fire left unchecked in a box, if, if we don't do anything about it, sooner or later, that fire is going to flash over. And a flashover is going to be simultaneous ignition of all the fuels in the box. So it's a hot event in that sense. And it can, uh, it can happen with an open or a closed box. It can happen with all the air that it wants. It can happen in a vent limited environment. The reason being every single fuel has an, it has a flash point, which would be a smoke explosion. It has an ignition temperature where it will have sustained combustion, and it has an auto-ignition temperature where it can ignite without any ignition source at all. Every single fuel in every box has that. <clears throat> the hotter we get, so all those temperatures are based off an assumption of 20.9% oxygen concentration. And inside a box, we're going to be at less than 209 because the fire is consuming oxygen as part of the combustion process, but the smoke being produced is also displacing oxygen from the box. So we're gonna have a technically vent limited environment anytime we have a structure fire. All those temperatures, if, if we say that, that um, you know, the, this thing flashover occurs at 1500 degrees, well, that it, it would occur at 1500 degrees at a given oxygen concentration. It could occur at a lower temperature, it could occur at a higher temperature, depending on the amount of oxygen available. So the hotter we get inside any box, the less air that's needed to make all that happen. Um, so if we're going to let a fire grow unchecked and we're just going to sit out in, in lawn chairs and watch it grow, sooner or later, flashover is inevitable. But we can't guarantee a smoke explosion or a backdraft. So, yeah, that would that I would say that's an accurate statement. So. <clears throat> With with both of these things in order, I would say if if you're wanting to avoid 
all three things that we talked about mm-hmm. water on the fire obviously is going to be number one. Would you agree that number two would be ventilation knowing ventilating correctly? <laughs> ventilating correctly is key. The correctly is. <laughs> I threw that in there. <laughs> I want you, I threw that in there on purpose. I can tell you what could happen if we just push through a box and open it up as we go and we never flow any water and you know, we almost die. Right. Um, the, the, the way that I like it best um, comes from Kyle Romagus, uh, uh, hose guru. Um, water plus air equals good. Air plus no water equals bad. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's one of the easiest ways to put it is, is if, we, if we are putting adequate GPMs, enough water, enough GPMs to overcome the BTUs being produced in the right location, uh, we want increased ventilation with that. We want to bring that cold front with us yes. to cool everything down and make the environment better for us and for them. Absolutely. 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 And a lot of people don't realize the same, the, like, I, I don't like uh, fog nozzles. Don't like them, right? But always have a caveat. After the fire's out, ain't nothing better. Because you can hydraulically ventilate, uh, like you said, our, our goal is is not getting our, our gear dark and, and all that stuff and being badasses. Our goal is a community, making sure that our citizens are taken care of. And if that means closing doors behind us until we found the fires, that means using, you know, uh, appropriate uh, solid streams or straight streams, how to apply that, uh, moving quickly throughout the box. <clears throat> all these things, uh, uh, even, and I, we haven't even touched on this, transitional. You know, fighting, uh, uh, you know, shooting water from outside temporarily to drop that temperature for the citizens and us, but mostly citizens to move through there. Uh, I, I feel like our job is is the, the, at the highest level is the easiest thing in the world. But as you dive deeper and deeper and deeper into the science of it, it gets extremely complicated. Now, the good news is, you know, through training and repetition, you know, you make it, you can make it just as easy as you thought it was going to be, but it, it takes effort. It takes time. It takes stretching lines. It takes going to trainings outside your department. It takes a little bit of ego being, you know, I've always thought about this button that you put on the outside of a firehouse. And when you go to work in the morning, you touch it with your thumb and it takes your ego out for 24 or 48 hours, depending on the shift. And then when you leave, you get your ego back because ego is okay. But I think in the fire service, ego is just a terrible thing because and I'll give you an example. Uh, this past last last spring, I was doing live burns with a bunch of different departments, and I base all this stuff on FSRI, the stuff that I've learned, uh, the science. Right, you know, science is greater than opinion. Uh, and I had a captain come up to me, a truck captain, because I had just given the speech to everybody. We got to close the doors. We do not open doors or windows until we have water on the fire. You know, we communicate. Blah blah blah. He said he came up to me afterwards and said, "Listen," and this is how he said it. Don't nobody close a door or window on, window on me that I open up uh, at all, ever. And I'm like, I, I'm like, no, that's exactly what we do. We don't indiscriminately open up. He goes, well, let me ask you this. How am I going to see people if I, I don't have that smoke releasing? My response was this. We don't need to see, for one. And two, yes, it will lift temporarily. And then it's going to exponentially get worse. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yes. Um, couple, couple stories in reply. Um, sure. The, and the reason why it's a couple of reasons why it's yes. 
Um, long story short, I was in a training. It was within my own department and, and the instructor within my own department uh, at the time um, was saying, we're going to trans as an organization, we're going to transition away from vertical ventilation because vertical ventilation is dangerous and makes a fire worse. And okay. Vertical ventilation being dangerous is a tactic. Um, I'm not a vertical ventilation expert. There are plenty of people in, in this country who, who are, and, and I'm not one of them. Uh, however, um, I do sit with popcorn and watch the comments section on Facebook and Instagram threads when people do argue over it. So I've picked up some best comment I've ever seen in the argument of vertical ventilation is more people have been hurt arguing over vertical ventilation than doing vertical ventilation. Right. Uh, that uh, overall it is not a dangerous tactic. People are not falling through roofs at nearly the rate that we fear they are. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and generally when there is a bad outcome from vertical ventilation, um, there can be six or seven red flags uh, pointed out before that incident happened, that, that they weren't sounding the roof properly, that you know, they were in the wrong location for whatever uh, without pointing fingers at anyone. Um, so it being a dangerous tactic, I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, again, there are, there are people who are much more expert than me, uh, in so far as it making the fire worse, what this instructor said is, is, is actually true. Uh, the, the UL study on ventilation does say that vertical ventilation makes a fire worse. However, there's a comma after that vertical ventilation makes a fire worse comma unless coordinated with an interior hose line, at which point vertical ventilation is the most effective ventilation on the fire ground. Yep. It's fantastic as long as we coordinate it with interior attack. The reason is, is, is you cut a hole, presumably bigger than a four by four. Um, there you go. There you, you go. Cut a hole. And uh, by the way, shameless plug for Nicholas Papa's book, Coordinating Ventilation. He has, he has the science okay. behind how big the hole should be. Uh, with, with how much heat any given hole can vent out. It's amazing. It's, it's, right. it's, uh, it's, it's a great book, but um, you're letting all that heat and all that smoke out, but it doesn't leave in a vacuum. Fresh air is rushing into that box to replace all that smoke, which is going to allow the fire to grow more, uh, which is why vertical ventilation allows a fire to grow and become worse. That's true. Unless coordinated with an interior hose line where, you know, we, we, finish it off. We punch the fire in the throat and take it out. Real world example, if you will. Um, I was sitting in a, uh, I was at a conference. Uh, it was, um, uh, one of the, one of the bigger conferences and they had an instructor ready room, uh, big, big, like a classroom, but it was only for the instructors where they can go in and, and fine tune their presentations or relax, grab a cup of coffee or a water kind of in quiet and solitude and whatever before their class. So, I'm in there like an hour or so before my class. I'm making sure that the PowerPoint looks exactly the way I want it to. And then, you know, proofreading some stuff and, and in comes Steve Robertson, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, and, and his class, uh, stretching for success is another one of those melt my brain classes. And it is kindergarten level logic. And, and I say that in the most complimentary sense of the term, it's amazing. Uh, so he walks in, I'm like, Oh shit, there's Steve Robertson. Like I'm fanboying. And, and so yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to like lean closer because he's, he's talking to someone that I don't recognize and they're talking tactics. And, and so I'm just, I'm pretending like I'm working on my computer, but really I'm <laughs> trying to listen to what he's saying, trying to pick something up. 
and they were talking about knee wall fires. And uh, uh, I don't have uh, my city's relatively new in the the grand scheme of American construction. I don't have uh, two and a half story residences. I don't have knee walls in in my district. So I, I don't fight knee wall fires, but he does in Columbus, Ohio. And he's talking about knee wall fires and, and, you know, I'm listening, I'm not staring at him, but I'm listening. And he goes, Rob, has that been your experience? <laughs> and then, you know, I, I do that thing where I look up and I look behind me to see if there's some guy named Rob behind me. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, my name, you know who I am. And he goes, Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I tell him, I'm like, well, okay, here's the thing. I don't have knee walls, blah, 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 blah. I go, I do have a question though about knee wall fires. Because uh, he was kind of talking about ventilation. He goes, yeah, what do you got? And I said, well, we want to vent. We want to vertically ventilate as directly, as high and directly above the fire as possible. And he goes, yeah, that's true. And I go, well, with a knee wall fire, wouldn't you be asking the truck company to ventilate basically at the edge of the roof and not at the high point over the center? Because the high point over the center is basically going to be above your engine company. And ventilating that, you know, the knee wall fire is going to be closer to the edge of the roof. If they ventilate directly above you at the high point of the roof, isn't that going to draw the fire right to you guys and make things worse and and do all these bad things? And he goes, scientifically, yes. And he goes, however, also scientifically and in our anecdotal experience, when they ventilate like that directly over us and we coordinate when they punch through and, and tell them they're not going to bring the ceiling down on us, everything gets better for a few seconds as all that smoke and bad stuff vents out and then we can see and then we can easier access the seat of the fire and open it up. It's within that 30 or so second window where we do our work. Because if we were to just sit there and, and let it keep venting like that, yeah, then everything that science says will happen does happen. Right. But that little sweet spot window, he goes, I want him venting directly above us because we do get that sweet spot in which we can do most of our work in good visibility because everything is lifting. And yeah, more air is going to the fire, but it makes it easier to locate the fire, open it up and put it out. And that that meant a lot to me. And I've, I've always taken that of, of yeah, the, the vertical ventilation is great coordinate it and he and his people have enough experience with it in the streets to to vet it and say that's absolutely true that gray area or that sweet spot in between ventilation and the fire getting worse that's where we get our uh, we get shit done right well that's where the science of air and water combine that's that perfect venn diagram yeah. and if you don't have that that coordinated attack if you don't play with that communications to make sure you're doing the right thing you know uh, I could see it. I have seen it uh, become terrible. It, yeah. it absolutely can. So no, that's, that, that's amazing. So how cool was it that he not only knew you, but like knew what you did and all yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, that was, that was, you know, I had, I had been through his class before at, at the same conference a year earlier and went up to him and kind of fanboyed, shook his hand. Nice to meet you. A huge fan, whatever. Um, but that one is, you know, after that discussion, he's like, Hey, what time are you teaching? Cause I'm going to sit in on it. And yeah, there, there was the oh shit moment, you know, like that yeah. you had seen Billy Goldfeder. And I was like, oh, I'm teaching at like one or whatever time it was. He's like, ah, oh, shit, I'm teaching at the same time. I was like, oh, dang. You know, like, <laughs> I, I won't have you, you know, second guessing anything I say. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, I, you know, it, it, anytime something like that does happen, it's, it's, it's flattering. Uh, like, again, the imposter syndrome kicks in. Like, who the hell am I? I'm nobody from nowhere. Um, but, but these people know of me 
and and being able to to, to talk with him and pick his brain a little and and you know it, it it means a lot and I don't think he'll ever know how much it means to me, but but that one moment right there of of recognition and getting to pick his brain and ask him a few things, he's on my very short list of of people that I'm trying to twist the arm of my administration. Like this is a class we need to bring here to this department. Like we would all be better for it. You need to get him in here before he says he's, he's done and, and riding off into the sunset. You know, I had a, uh, uh, I'd say I fanboy, fangirl hard. I can't help it. Matter of fact, I love that 30 years in the job. I still act like, you know, it's the first week of my, you know, being in the fire service. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I took a class back in 2013, 12, 14, like that. And it was forest reader. Now forest reader is for me, one of the, one of the best out there, best instructors. He's super knowledgeable. Um, so when I got to teach, it, oddly enough, it was in Colorado, right outside Colorado for this particular class, we were teaching um, a basement fire, the science of basement fires uh, as a live fire class. Well, forest chief reader, was one of the instructors. So I was going to meet chief reader. So my wife knows that I tend to fanboy and that it gets, and it, it actually is an obstacle for me trying to have any kind of logical conversation. It just sounds like, Hey man, you remember that article you wrote about 1403? <laughs> Pretty cool, dude. That's so I go there and I'm, I see Forrest. I can't talk to him because I don't want to sound like an idiot. I've built him up in my head as this, this huge, huge uh, icon. So I don't say a word to the guy, you know, he's sitting right next to me and he's talking to me and I'm like, yes, no. And I'm texting my wife. I'm like, dude, he's talking to me. She's like, just talk to the guy. So I was pretty uncomfortable. You know, I was just like, just amazed. I've taught several times with Forrest and I've told him that story since then. And I consider him a good friend now, but I can't imagine from his point of view, what he thought about me as a, uh, as a podcaster, when I couldn't engage him in any conversation whatsoever, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Uh, but again, I love that about me. Cause I love the fire service. I love the people that are putting in the effort to make the fire service better, not just their department, not just their crew, the fire service. Uh, I call them landscapers. If you listen to my uh, yep. uh, podcast at all, I call everybody landscaper. You're changing the landscaper brother. You're absolutely a landscaper in my book. I, I think if I met you in person, I probably wouldn't talk to you that much. I did it to Kyle Romagus. I did it to Corley Moore. And I, I consider Corley a good friend. The first time I met him in person, I took his class, didn't say a word to him. Not a word. And he didn't know who I was because I, I dressed different and I was quiet. I didn't bug him. Um, he has yelled at me. And since I've learned not to do that. But brother, it has been an amazing trip with you. And I, and I love the fact that I sent you all those notes. If you look back on it, yep. we really didn't talk about a ton of them. Uh, but uh, I do have a doctor's appointment. I've got yet another penis shortening surgery. I've got to take care of um, <laughs> you poor thing. Yeah, I know it's, you know, <laughs> Hey, listen, just, just pray for my wife. Bless her heart. The only woman I've ever seen in a wheelchair smiling. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, I do want to, I cannot tell you how much I love having you on here. I really, I'm still, uh, I'm still pretty excited about it, but I want to ask you, I like to end two ways. One of the ways is out first, I want people to, how can they get a hold of you? Take your classes, read your information, read your articles. Tell me that first. And we'll go into the second thing. Uh, The easiest ways to get a hold of me are going to be uh, Facebook or Instagram. 
Um, Facebook, I have a, a, you know, I have my normal Rob Backer personal page. Um, also Facebook and Instagram, I do have the, the, the business side of things, if you will, at first do intelligence. Um, you can also get a hold of me through there. Um, those pages have my phone number and my email address on there. Uh, the, the email address is robbacker.fdi for first due intelligence at gmail.com. Um, anytime anyone wants to reach out, they can. Uh, you know, I love talking shop. I, you know, people will, will say, hey, we had this fire. Here's what happened. What do you think? And, you know, I'll, as soon as I have a moment, I'll reply. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with some preface, like, well, you know, you're, you're telling me, and I, I say it politely, but basically you're, you're, you're painting a picture. I, we don't have the entire picture, but based on what you're telling me, here are my thoughts. Or, right. or based on what we can see in this video, here are my thoughts. Um, and then they'll be like, okay, yeah, so we were, with, we were, you know, intentionally withholding some context to see what, you know, if you were right. And, you know, <laughs> here, here's the rest of the story. Um, oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> yeah, in which, they started thinking you were full of shit. <laughs> we were testing you. Uh, which, you know, we're all firefighters. I get it. Um, it's, it's fine. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't bring ego to this. Um, I I don't say, you know, that I know more than you or anything like that. So anytime anyone wants to talk shop or, or look into hosting a class, you know, we can always talk, uh, have a chat, uh, email, phone, text, messenger, whatever. Outstanding. What about a, uh, if they want to book your class, where do they go to do that? Uh, easiest way and, and the most direct way, you know, if, if, whether it's, it's through, you know, social media or whatever, uh, we'll eventually get in touch generally via email. Um, and, and they can say, Hey, what would it cost? And when are you available? And I can throw that back to them. And, and once we ish, you know, agree on some, some dates kind of thing, I'll send them a formal proposal that'll make the legal people in their department happy. And, <laughs> and then we'll start jumping through all those, you know, dotted T's and crossed I's, uh, to, to make it all. Uh, happy with the pencil pushers. Outstanding. Now let me ask you this: What's the best prank, firehouse prank that you've ever played or have had played on you? It's it's going to be what I had played on me. Um, I, I'm not great at playing pranks, in but I I've reached a point where I recognize that, and I'm not. So I'll just let other people do it, and I'll, I'll giggle. But the best that was ever done to me um, when I was in training to become a company officer. And, and, uh, so I, I'm a firefighter and I, I raise my hand for the department and say, I want to get cleared to operate. We call it out of class, uh, you know, to be able to ride in the seat when the ranked guy's gone and to start the process of learning how to be a company officer so that when promotion time comes, I can, uh, successfully pass the test and maybe be considered for promotion. So I'm training to be an officer and I, I'm writing, there's a, there's a ranked Lieutenant on the engine with me. He's sitting in back. And, and I'm in training. So I'm, I'm sitting up front for the day. It also happened to be uh, the time when the union was in negotiations with the city for a new contract. And when that's happening, the, the people who are on the negotiations team, uh, they get shift trades. People will volunteer to work for them for free so that they can go sit with the city and negotiate a contract for everyone. Um, and so this day, there's a guy, uh, the union president uh, and the lead negotiator is um is on the crew but he's negotiating for the day and he had told us yeah like negotiations it's going to be an all-day affair we're going to go till five o'clock or or until we have an agreement but it's going to be an all-day affair so he's gone all day well the guy working for him uh he's 
just, you know, we're talking, he's like, yeah, you know, it's just a half day standby. Uh, you know, cause I got, I got appointments this afternoon. I got shit I got to do just casually mentioning that. And I'm not correcting anything. Cause maybe I heard it all wrong. You know, he's okay, whatever. But as the day goes on, the afternoon comes and this guy's like, man, you know, John needs to come back. I got appointments. I got a hot date. Need to get out of here. I want to do all this stuff. And as the afternoon wears on, it's just, he's getting more and more agitated. And he's like, man, you know, when John gets back, he and I are going to have words. And still trying to play it off. Okay, whatever. John gets back, says, hey, oh, God, marathon day. But, hey, you know, thanks for working for me. Um, we did get a contract. You know, thanks for stepping up and helping out the union. And, and this guy uh, says, hey, can I have a word with you in the bay? I want to have a private chat with you. Yeah, okay. So the two of them go out to the bay. Meanwhile, the lieutenant I'm working with, he's like, hey, Rob, let's go upstairs, start working on those reports, teach you how to write reports, stuff like that. So I go up there, we're typing reports. And uh, after about five minutes, one of the other firefighters comes in and goes, dude, those two guys are going at it in the bay. <laughs> John, the union president, is coincidentally for the story, he is of Irish descent. And, <laughs> and the guy who worked for him, his name's also Rob, he is Hispanic. And he goes, they're going at it in the bay. It's bad. You got to get down there and break this shit up. So I'm like, really? Like, did we really have to do this? <laughs> Leave the office, heading out to the bay. And the words I'm hearing being screamed from the bay <laughs> would make anyone blush. I mean, you got, you got a guy of Irish descent and a guy who's Hispanic. And they are trading racial slurs back and <laughs> screaming at each other. And I'm like, oh, God, like... <laughs> at least one person's getting fired today. Like this has to go to HR. Hopefully they're not going at it physically and, and punching each other. And what am I going to do? Uh, and I opened the door to go out into the bay and now they're screaming about each other's, you know, this, your mother, this, and your sister, that and it's like, Oh God, this is, this is bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. And I open the door and I'm terrified of what I'm going to see. And I get met with a five gallon bucket of water and a 10 pound <laughs> bag of flour <laughs> coated. You got antiqued. I got antiqued and I stand <laughs> there and there's like the, the pause where they're like, what's he going to do? And, and, and after like five seconds, you know, the, the union president's like, so are, are, are you mad at us? And I just go, man, I am, I am so grateful. This was all a joke and planned and slow played by Martinez the entire day. Like, Touche, tip of the cap, guys. I'm going to go shower before we get a call. And, and <laughs> you know, please, I swear to God, if you come into the bathroom while I'm showering, it's going to be the end of one of you. And uh, uh, they didn't bug me. They, they were actually really disappointed with it. They wanted, they wanted me to lose my mind. Um, but I was so thankful that that was all a joke and, and I didn't respond at all. So they were disappointed. But, man, they nailed me because I had so many. I was like, at least one of them getting fired. I'm going to be the guy who's labeled as the guy who got them fired. Like this is, this is the worst possible everything. There's so much racism right now. And it was all staged. So I did see the antiquing coming. That, that was a nice touch. I did not see the antiquing coming. That was great. Oh, they, they got me good. And, and the, the, where they failed, they didn't take a picture of it. They didn't have a camera ready out there, but uh, it, it was. That, that could be a good thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah certainly. <laughs> Well, Brother Rob, I appreciate your time. I appreciate sharing what you have with us. Thank you so much for being on Absolutely. the Absolutely. Thank you for the invite. Thank you for, for the trust of, 
you know, you have a fantastic podcast and, and to, to say that, you know, you, you feel that I could help further it or, or keep, you know, hold the standard is, is very humbling. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you, brother. I appreciate your time. Stay safe. Absolutely. You too. Our podcast today was sponsored by Fire Facilities. This Made in America company is dedicated to constructing top quality custom training structures to meet your needs. Make your training count with all steel structures that are made to last. Visit firefacilities.com for more details.